Before you listen to this episode of the Outspoken Bible, we wanted to remind you that the subject matter, the events leading up to and the crucifixion of Jesus, contains descriptions of violence and, of course, death. We don't dwell particularly on the more graphic aspects of the account, but we do talk about them as part of the wider discussion. You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 20 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm here with Jen Robertson. Hello. Good morning. And Neil Glover. Hello. 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 I felt as though you were maybe going to say good afternoon there to, to create balance for the listeners. <laughs> we're we're all about diversity. Good evening and good night. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, a quick reminder for those of you who may not have spotted them yet, but the Stories of Light and Life, that series of short films with testimonies from people across Scotland and monologues from the Gospel of John, are all available to watch, share and download from www.scottish.bible forward slash light and life forward slash stories. So you can find them there, you can download them, and then obviously you can use them in, in all sorts of different ways. You could share them uh, over your own social media, you could share them via WhatsApp or something like that, or you could use them in your church context. And I would certainly love to hear how those are being used across Scotland. I'm sure we would find that really interesting here uh, to hear from you about that. So have you found any innovative ways of sharing those videos, maybe via social media or in a group? Email us on outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org and tell us what you're up to and how the stories are being used. Have either of you two watched any of the stories yet? Put Not you on the yet. spot here. Need to. Sorry, Neil, that was put you on the spot. Jen, you must have watched them. Yes, I've watched them and I showed one of them at a ladies' fellowship that I was speaking at last week and I found they, they found them very interesting and helpful and they seemed very engaged by what they were watching. So And you had them. a top tip because we were talking about sound in a different context and, and you were talking about putting sub- subtitles on well you when you download the videos i you can you can either choose i think you can choose if you had to download one with subtitles without so i I would always go with the subtitles because you never know who's in your audience and who that would help yeah and actually it's quite interesting that because i always think of that as something that helps people who are you know have particular issues with hearing or, or are older but it's quite common practice really on on youtube and so on isn't it of course. And, and on instagram people would, would watch videos that with the sound well, down but the subtitles on often. Yeah, i think i think your videos are lost on social media if you don't have subtitles you don't because subtitle lots on. of people watch them without the sound down yeah so lots mm. of people are actually very very used to that in yeah. everyday life so great yeah. good top tip there if you're <clears> using uh, those videos with a group then make sure you use the subtitled version of that and uh, yeah let us know how you're getting on with that It'd be really interesting to hear a little bit more about how those are being spread those stories are being spread across scotland now today we're talking about john chapter 19 that's on pages 56 through to 59 of light and life gospel and it is a chapter where the king of the jews is crowned with thorns and nailed to a tree, and with a final breath pushed out through parched lips, declares it is finished. Before that, though, it's time for Glover's Off. I feel I want to just pause for that. That was really beautiful. Do you want it again? Fiona. Um, Yeah. Okay, well, it's a chapter where the king of the Jews is crowned with thorns and nailed to a tree, and with a final breath pushed out through parched lips, declares it is finished. Hmm. Yeah, I think that 
really, to me, speaks to the spirit of the chapter that we're going to be coming to later on. Um, Glover's Off this week is about Calmac. Calmac Ferries. I was wanting to see your reactions when I said Calmac. What comes into your head when I say Calmac Ferries? Or Calmac? Freedom. Yeah. Uh, there's something very freeing about getting on a Calmac. Yeah. I love a Calmac yeah. Ferry. It's very distinctive livery as well. Yeah. Good, good branding. I was thinking a bit more negatively about all the problems that have been around Calmac. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. There's a, whole, there's a whole load of questions at the moment. And whole communities who have suffered deeply yeah. because of that. Actually, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and and there are lots of issues. I I think I want from Glover's off to very much veer towards Fiona's reaction there. Although I think Jen, your reaction has to be attended to, but it's the romance of them. And for me, I we were recently on holiday in Tyree, and the just again, the standing in Oban watching a huge ferry come in. And when I first was aware of these, when I was a three-year-old boy and the ferry to Mull would come in and my dad would get me to watch as it opened its front like this huge whale and the rumble and then the scrape of the ramp over the jetty just brings back so many memories for me. And I think I've been looking a wee bit at Caledonia McBrain. So Caledonia McBrain has existed as a company since the early 1970s. I think it's wholly owned now by the Scottish government, although it is a separate, there's a separate holding company called David McBrain's. Uh, does anybody want to guess what is the most popular Calmac route? Oh, but the Aran Ferry. Surely. It is correct. Yeah, um, twenty. These are 2017 <laughs> figures, so it's number one. You want to guess what number two is? Uh, oh. My uh, Millport, I'm going to say, but I know that's not the name of the island. It's Cumbria. You're right. It is. That's the number two, which I was really surprised by. I would have thought it would have been one of the bigger ones. Any other guesses at the top ten? Um, Isla. Rothsay is number three. We're absolutely spot on. Well. Isla is number nine. Oh right. Okay. Okay. It's I'm trying to think. Uh, Do you want the oh, fourth? Mull, Mull. Mull is four. Uh, Malig, five. Stornoway, six. Finneport, Iona, seven. Contrive, Rubadoch. Is that how you pronounce that? Rubadoch. 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 That's Yeah, that's number eight. Isla is number nine. And Uig to Tarm- Tarbert and Loch is number ten. And I just love the gift of those ferries to... To the communities, and I totally take on board what, no pun intended, what um, Jen is is saying about the current uh, challenges that are being faced. But just the gift of those ferries, which have have given life and allowed the Scottish people and and people from all over the world to go to these islands and to just bask in the Hebrides. I even went, there was for a while a a Calmac ferry that existed outside of uh, Scotland. Do you want to guess where it is? Oh, my. Um, Isle of Man. Uh, close, close. It was Rathlin in Northern Ireland, um, so I went and won there. It, it, it's it, the ferry's still there, but it's not a Calmac ferry anymore. Anyway, the point is the gift of these sea journeys. Now, what's really interesting is that sea journeys, boat journeys, uh, there is only one instance in the Old Testament where we hear directly of someone getting on board a, a boat or a ship. There are lots of references to it at various points. It's always slightly suspect or hostile. But of, of course, the one person who got on a boat in the Old Testament is... Jonah. 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 Yeah, he's the only one. Noah. Uh, oh, that's uh-huh. two. That's ruined my point, hasn't it? That's because <laughs> I did a search for the word ship and boat and should have looked up ark as well. <laughs> yes, of course. But it, it's it's actually a relatively unusual pastime in the Old Testament, whereas in the New Testament, of course, Jesus is doing it 
all the time. He's always getting onto boats. These are a huge place of learning. And then for Paul, it's a it's a huge opportunity. It's what allows him to spread the gospel. So um, those two things I bring into my Calmax, there, there are places where I have learned about the gospel, particularly because of places I've gone and learned there, but also just that sense of presence of God on the waters on a Calmac ferry. So this week's Glover's Off is Calmac. I mean, that was like an advert. <laughs> a puff piece. A puff piece. I should say there are other there are ferry companies. Other also ferry available. companies are available. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. I always have an issue with the, uh, the bit in Revelation where it says that there'll be no more sea. Yeah. I really yeah. like the sea, but I, yeah. I take it, I, I think it's metaphorical. Because the sea was seen as, as, seen as uh, yeah. dangerous and A dark dangerous and place. death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Which it is. Yeah. Which it is. Thanks for that. That's great. Uh, you're making us all want to go island hopping now. Yeah. Lovely pastime. Uh, now, we're, we're moving into chapter 19. So we actually only have three chapters of the gospel to go. Uh, that's taken us through the whole of this year. It's been quite interesting uh, to reflect on on where we've come from in John's gospel, starting with the prologue in chapter one and moving through all these different encounters that we've had. We might at the end of the year do a bit of an episode where we recap a little bit and, mm. and maybe think about how discussing this has impacted us because I, I don't know about you two but I certainly feel quite impacted by all of it but we're reaching really a culmination chapter here today aren't we in chapter 19 picking up from where we left off last time when Jesus was being taken in front of Pilate and we we find him uh, here in 19. Jen why don't you start us off with some thoughts on, on approaching this passage to discuss it today? The, the main thing that struck me was the significance of Pilate. Mm-hmm. Nearly the whole chapter until we get to the actual death of Jesus is is all about his struggle in dealing with Jesus. Um and you know he's a he's a he's a Roman what is he a governor? Is that his title? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's steeped in violence. Is that too harsh? I mean his his job is to be to control people violently and to his day-to-day tasks would be to to be brutal and cruel mm. and tor- torturing people and yet here he is in this chapter again and again he he doesn't want he doesn't want to kill Jesus he doesn't he wants him to be set free he he puts the sign above his cross that he was the king of the Jews not he mm. claimed to be the king of the Jews mm-hmm. and I I just wonder what is what is going on with Pilate? What is the significance of him in this story of when Jesus' life comes to an end? And what did he did he think Jesus was some kind of did he think he was some kind of god with a small g that was you know I'm sure there was lots of other other religious there was lots of other religious beliefs that you know people could become could could be representations of God on earth and the beautiful bit when he says here is the man that mm. made me do that reflecting Fiona that you're talking about looking looking back all these chapters we've read of the man not just mm-hmm. about how he died but how he lived the wedding and the teachings and the including people that nobody else wanted to include and the conversations and the miracles and the friendships and here is the man he says it's a, it, for, for a you know he's not even mentioned he's not mentioned in the rest of the gospel but it's so significant in this chapter mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's something about Pilate. People argue about Pilate's reputation because they they feel that 
this, the portrait here is too sympathetic, mm-hmm. uh, that Pilate seems too human. And as you've just said, Jenna, there's all these accounts, particularly from the, Ro- the Jewish historian Josephus, saying that, that Pilate was brutal. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are two things here. One is that it says at one point that Pilate is afraid and people think that's too sympathetic. But but actually, the, the reason that people are brutal is because they are afraid. There's yeah. There's a deep fear lurking between them. But there's also something, I had a conversation last week with somebody, we were talking about heaven and hell. Someone was saying that the reason that they believed in hell was they didn't, quote, want Vladimir Putin and Adolf Hitler to be in heaven. What kind of place would that be, they said. And Pilate's not up far away from those sorts of individuals in terms of his record of brutality. And had he had the opportunities that Putin and Hitler had had, who's to say that he wouldn't have done some of the things that they did? But the point is that even Pilate can be confronted with Jesus in a way that has the potential to change him and possibly for him to recognize, definitely for him to recognize who Jesus is. And there's something here again about pulling us into the heart of the gospel that even the very, 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 very worst of people have to be confronted with the person of Jesus in order to be the person that God's made them to be. Mm-hmm. The I, I was saying just before we, we pressed the record button, I'm reading Dominion by Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a bit late to the party because a lot of people, I think, have read this book in, in the last few years. Um, and I've only read the first two chapters, but I was interested in the fact that he begins that book, which is a, it's the story of Western civilization, really, uh, and, and Christendom, I guess. Um, but he begins it by talking quite graphically, actually, about how the Roman Empire exerted control and the brutality that was right at the heart of all of that. And the the normalness, not the word, normality, of, of brutality uh, that existed. And it, it was it was actually really quite helpful coming into this chapter, having read that, because I think when you become familiar with the crucifixion accounts, you, on the one level, I, th- I think we become a little bit blasé about the brutality on one level desensitized but then think at the same time we also we you know the cross is so significant to our faith that, that we almost lift the 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 brutality of it and the the kind of normality of that mm. being used as a as a weapon of of control we lift Wouldn't that away you say don't something we? about the fact that many people died either in the the scourging or the carrying of the cross that was jen was talking about that didn't yeah, I'm, yeah, I had, hadn't realised until I was preparing this that um, the whipping, so that's where it starts. Um, the first sentence of chapter 19 is Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And and so easily said, but a, apparently that could be so severe that um, no, your internal organs were exposed. You know, it's harsh and it's awful, but that's what would happen, which meant, you know, you, you, could, be, you could be dead from the flogging, you know, from... from Septicemia from the, just the the damage. You know, your your internal organs are so damaged you die. And so Jesus, you know, I would say Jesus when he walked up the the hill with his the beam of the cross on his shoulders, he wasn't just slightly tired or had been beaten around a wee bit. He was he was deeply um, physically damaged by that point. Um, I don't know if, if that can that's too that's too um, it's too uh, descriptive, but. Um, and we don't we want to go on and on about that because I you know I remember being a youth worker in the nineties and we used to 
I, not we, I, I used to use sort of films about Jesus being killed with uh, emotive music to get people to respond um, to what was happening to Jesus. And I don't want to go down that road because I, the Bible doesn't do that. Yes. Yeah, it can become too voyeuristic. Well, it becomes it becomes it because I, I I would put my hand up, Jen, and say I did exactly the same in the nineties, and and it becomes emotionally manipulated. I, I look yeah, back absolutely. and I think, yes. was I manipulating people emotionally to make a spiritual yeah, that's right. decision? I, and so then, therefore, in our conversation about this chapter, what it is it if it's happening on the cross that brings us closer to God and reveals what God is doing, God and Jesus, Holy Spirit are, are doing in this situation? It's not about this is really really awful what happened to Jesus, and therefore I need to love him which may be part of our response, but there's more to it than that. But the, the brutality, as you say, Fiona, is is beyond anything I would ever have experienced on earth, obviously. Most of us. I find that, just the way you even phrased that there, Jen, so helpful, because I, I do feel, though, that some of the commentaries go the opposite way from 1990s youth workers, and they, <laughs> they go straight into the, the theological themes. Now, the, this chapter is unbelievably rich, dense, artful in terms of its weaving of, of lots of theological ideas and, and metaphors and so on. But but what I find very profound is to, to place that beside the description that you've brought us into of just how awful this was and say that that's the place where, where God is present. That is the place where theology is, is present. That is the place where the metaphors are, are, are coming mm. and being made real in that truly terrible place. And, and interestingly, isn't that what we've said consistently through this gospel? Consistently, when we've looked at theological statements that Jesus has made, we've talked about the fact that he does it in the context of a particular festival or a yeah. particular mm. setting or a particular yeah. miracle. It's so never I, removed. I suppose to, to some extent, it's a continuation of that, yeah, isn't it? That yeah. the theology takes place within mm. the humanity of what's happening. And mm -hmm. this is the final festival, of course, the final Passover. And that we're, as we talk, we'll discover there's lots of uh, comparisons of what's happening to Jesus as to what was happening to the Lamb at Passover. But I was also good at just that response to the awful things that happened to Jesus. One of Adrian Plassey's books, which is another 1990s reference. <laughs> um, I can't remember which book it is. But he tells the story of taking a small boy, I think the boy was about four or five, and they were standing in a museum where there was a statue, I think, of Mary, Jesus' mother, holding holding the, her dead son, holding Jesus. And the wee boy was just looking at this statue and he said, I don't know, to the person, the adult he was with, they really hurt Jesus, didn't they, Dad? Mm -hmm. I think it was his dad. They really hurt Jesus, didn't they, Dad? And I think... That's a that's that's a response we should all have. We should mm. we should be aware of how much Jesus went through for us, but it's not the whole. And we need to be careful how we use it. But I think that kind of experience of coming across a statue and seeing that is it's spontaneous and real, isn't it? It hasn't been forced upon the child. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we can we delve into some of these theological ideas then that we that we find in the chapter? So so let's think first of all about the Passover. So this is mm -hmm. happening at the time of the Passover. And obviously at the centre of that that Passover meal is the lamb. Mm -hmm. Where do we see that picked up here? Well, the, the lamb had to be a perfect lamb. It wouldn't, it couldn't have any blemishes on it. And so that the bit where they come to Jesus to break his legs, uh, which would have hastened his death, but they discover he's dead already. So 
is John trying to say, you know, this this Jesus was he wasn't perfect, he'd been beaten up and everything. So it's it's a it's a limited metaphor. But there is something in that, isn't there, connecting there, No, there's a definite there's a line in Exodus yeah. where it says yeah. you mustn't break the bones of a lamb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, yes, so the, so there's that one. And then um also the the whole the, the lamb that was brought to be sacrificed at Passover had to be living when it was brought and then died at the sacrifice. You couldn't just bring a dead lamb along and sacrifice it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so here's Jesus when the blood and the water pours from him. Is again is that is that a picture of he 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 wasn't just didn't die of something else and we we put him into the situation. He's 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 been killed. He is a, he is a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Is 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 John painting that picture? Um, at this final sacrifice in Jesus' life. John says something that no one else is specific about, which is he says this is the day of preparation for the Passover. Um, the the other gospels seem to locate the the Passover day with Jesus, but it's not explicit. And there's lots mm-hmm. of discussion about trying to work out the history of that and did different Jews have different Passovers at, at different times. But the key point is the one that you're making, Jen, is that the day of preparation for the Passover was the day when the lambs were killed. So John very explicitly locates the timing of the death of Jesus with the exact same timing of the death of the lambs at the hands of the priests. Yes. Gosh. Um so that so so that's the 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 lamb and and I suppose my response, even as both of you are speaking, is, you know, are we over reading into something that's just happening? But John himself will, throughout this chapter, allude to what he's doing, isn't he? So this happens so that yeah. the scripture might be fulfilled. He talks about that with the, with, the, with the garment that's not torn. And John himself, sorry, John himself is looking back, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's, he's putting on these events, what he, he now holds to be to be true about about what Jesus was doing, and maybe I, mean, I think we need to talk about that. So wh- why why does he compare Jesus to the Lamb? Mm-hmm. What, what does he what is he saying that's happening on the cross? Yeah, yeah, he's and the, the Lamb. So it's it's very interesting that the classic reason why we give that that Jesus died was for us for the sins of the world, in order that we might be forgiven. Now, what's quite striking is there are very few explicit references to that in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. That clearly is in the writings of Paul. It's much more uh, developed. But there is a reference in Mark to Jesus paying for the ransom of many. Uh, but it's, it's, it almost jumps out because it's, it's quite unusual to see it there. Where the gospel writers seem to be pointing to the idea of the death that brings about forgiveness, the atonement, to use that word, is in a more subtle way. So it's when Jesus says at the, the Last Supper, Passover again, this is the cup of my of the new covenant of my blood. Or here, when John, not explicitly, but very strongly is pointing us towards the Lamb and is saying the, the Lamb, which is the sign of the people of Israel being able to enter into new life from the place of death that's what's happening here as well for all of God's people and we have again sorry to be I feel as though I'm here as the the representative of the whole of the rest of the gospel but we've, we've had that happening again and again haven't we that reminder back to exodus back to the passover we think about the you know the, again the bread of life the manna in, in in the desert there have been lots of the the, the snake lifted up in John 3 you know there's a lot of yeah. reference throughout the gospel isn't there yeah to, to that exile experience 
and and Genesis. So, as you say, yes, there's... there's Sorry, Exodus. I I said exile. I meant Exodus experiences. Oh, yeah, yeah, Exodus. Uh Um, (laughs) So there's lots of Exodus, as you say, the the Lamb, and then there's lots of Genesis. So there's quite a strong idea that what you were just talking about, Jane, the, the thing where Pilate says, behold the man, the man. People quite often think that's a reference to Adam. So this is mm. the new Adam. So there's there's three things that Jesus is being here. He is being the new king, who is greater than Pilate. He is being the new priest, whose blood forgives everybody. And he is the new man, the new Adam. And to, to slightly develop the Adam theme, we're going to end this passage in a garden where new life is going to happen in the first day. I, I don't want to uh, go too much into chapter 20, but that's that's the other parallel that seems to be happening here. And back to chapter one, you know, he, he came um, to give them the right to become children of God. Now, what greater access is there than that, that we're right in the presence of God mm-hmm. as his children because of Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So Jesus is the lamb. Neil, you said there the king is a theme in, in here as well. So let's explore that a little bit. That, that appears in, in the opening verses, doesn't it? it? So there's the hail king of the Jews as the the sarcasm and the the offence of that. Uh, But also there's the sign that's placed above Christ on the cross. Which was a common thing to do, I discovered. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was, the Romans would would make make a sign for everyone who was crucified with their name and their crime. And they would either put that around their neck or they would carry it in front of them as as they went up um, to be crucified. And so what is Pilate doing here? He's, He's saying that the crime... You know, I think you said that, Fiona, earlier on, that the crime is that he's a king. It's not that he did this, this and this, or he was a terrorist or a bandit, which is the other two guys are called bandits. Is that in in this chapter? Maybe it's somewhere else in another gospel, but the, the two thieves are sometimes referred to as bandits. So it's it's not those words of the, his crime as being the, the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's this sort of strange discussion goes on about the, the, the ownership of the king. You know, so, so again, I, I'm, I'm reading from Light and Life, so I've got no verses. But here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, and they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief mm-hmm. priest's comment. Mm-hmm. So there's this strange back and forth. And then he, 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 yeah, he puts this sign. They then protest it. Don't write the king of Jews. Write that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And then it's, it's this blank statement, isn't it? What I've written, I've written. And interestingly, one of the things I was reading was talking about the fact that it's written in, in three languages, in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. It's it's written so that it is proclaimed. And there's, you know, you mentioned irony, but there's irony here, isn't it? That Pilate is the one who, in languages understood across the empire, makes the claim. I mean, it's really odd that he does that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way he should, he should be saying there's any other king but Caesar. Mm-hmm. Is he not in big trouble? For even saying, saying that. that. There yeah. seems to be a sense that he's doing a little bit what Caiaphas did in an earlier chapter where Caiaphas said it in his own mouth, it's better that one man die for the people. And the comment from John is, he didn't know this, but because he was priest, he was prophesying at this point. There's a sense in Pilate did not know this, but he was prophesying at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Pi- there must have been something about Jesus that's making Pilate do this. Because, do you know, that I just think the normal thing for Pilate to have done was right, all right, here's this guy. This is my job. I need to get rid of him. Get him. Get him whipped and get him out of here. There, unless Pilate was doing this with lots of people, which I don't think so. <laughs> um, no, he, I'm sure he wasn't treating every criminal like this. So he must have been Jesus. 
right to the end of this book, it still has that causes people to wonder and to well, and, say, and it, who are you? That's right. And it does yeah. say from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. lead, and I, I was in, I I underlined this actually. It says, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, "If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes." Caesar. Yeah, but the, even just the the level of you know shouting yeah. that, yeah, this is not considered discussion, is it? No. And does any, do we have any other history of Pilate after this? Is there any other historical records of what happened to Pilate in the rest of his career? I, I'm about to make a statement that I'm I can't fully back up but i think i read something last time that there's not uh, okay there's a legend he ends up in zurich but it, as you well point to it could be <laughs> the could legend be as, that he was born in fortingal yeah no. could be as reliable as, <laughs> isn't there something i mean going back to what you're saying jane there's just something i think this happens in all human encounter when we truly encounter another person we we see the image of God. I mean, Mother Teresa said that about the poor. Isn't there something in Les Miserables about something like that, that we look and see the face of God or, or something like that? I'm looking at you two as authorities on musical theatre in a way that I'm not. I, I, I find it too long. I, I can't engage with that. I mean, it's a great story, but it's not my favourite musical. Um, okay, well, And we'll I haven't do, read Victor Hugo, so... We'll drop that. <laughs> yes, I hadn't assumed you'd read Victor Hugo. But there's something about, isn't it, the, the, the king, the nominal king sees the real king and suddenly goes, there's something here. And it could be the cleverness of, of his answers, but I think it's deeper and it points to human connection, doesn't it? There's something on the level of soul and spirit that Pilate is seeing true authority and he can't let go of it. So he keeps saying this mm-hmm. is the true king. And I think about what does that mean to be king? I think sometimes we 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 can have a picture of king as the the one we we simply defer to and and people who can be in kind of people who love things like you know ceremony and pomp or interestingly enough there's lots of it in Barney the dinosaur I discovered when I was yeah yeah Barney the dinosaur is full of bowing to kings um but and people but but what the really is sorry can I just stop you there do you mean like we play with Barney every day. That yeah, that Barney. one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's loads of, let's <laughs> bow. Barney is being the king. Let us bow to the king. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's all that love of authority. But um, but really, what a real king is the one who's holding on to things. And I, there's a real sense that, I've, I've got to be careful with my language here, but it's almost like God is present, swirling and present in the very air of this. So even on the outward appearance, it's an utter disaster. God is holding on to the the moment when the the, the cloth is it, clothes are ripped off and split into four. And this is in, in response to the scripture, and God is present when the the water and the blood come out because this is a response to to scripture. God God is holding even this because He's in charge and. We were talking um, in preparation for today about how we reacted to this chapter. And, and on one level, it's such a sad, just tragic chapter. I think your introduction, um, Fiona, at the start pointed to that. And Jane, when you were talking about the crucifixion. But but there's also a sense that even here, God's holding this. Mm. And I was reading this, preparing for this, um, after it had been at a difficult meeting, Um where it just felt, well, I'll be honest, it was, it was for the Church of Scotland. We're just struggling to think, what is our mission? Um, and this was in a national committee. And I came out and I 
read this and I had a spring in my step and the reason was because I thought he's still the king mm. in the sense of the one who's holding on to all of this. Mm-hmm. And, he, and his remarkableness of Jesus is seen in other, the, the bit where he talks, there's the four women at the foot of the cross and Jesus sees his mother there and the disciple whom he loves standing nearby and he said to her, woman, here is your son and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And it, what what a man, here is the mm. man, to be hanging on a cross with all the things we've already described. Now, you, you can maybe have been looking at his mother and then have been deeply troubled, but to be able to make that, that to say to John, that is the, that is the disciple, isn't it? Well, we, um, yeah, yeah we, we presume. presume. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll look after. That, that, that's hugely remarkable. And the, the character of who he was, whatever... I mean, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But I mean, if we if we don't you don't believe that, that that's an incredible moment, isn't it? And I just love that that touch by the writer to say that he took her into his home. You know, he didn't just, he didn't just go and give her dinner on a Friday night, or had to give her some flowers occasionally, an occasional visit. He took her in, and that is a, is a picture of the church, isn't it? And yes. and what are the family of God be, that we should be, and indeed the kingdom of God, I suppose. Yeah. Do you know, so if we're talking about Jesus as king, the kingdom of God is a is an upside down kingdom of. It's not about pomp, yeah. <laughs> but it's about welcoming people into your home. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so he's the he's the Paschal Lamb. He is the king. He is the new Adam. Yeah. And Neil, the other the other title you mentioned was priest. Yeah. So he's the the one through whom the blood is shed in order that the sins might be forgiven. So it's quite close to the idea of the of the lamb, but he becomes the new the new priest, the new bridge between humanity and God. And I think that's what's lying in the the water and blood that we we talked about or that that the the blood points to the fact that his blood will now be the he's offering the blood up to, to the forgiveness of sins and then the water points to the spirit and the two are the same moment the moment at which jesus dies and he's definitely died because there's blood is also the point at which the spirit is released and and almost becomes the baptizer at this point as well he baptizes mm. the church and all creation in the waters of the spirit which has flown from a flowed from his his body it's interesting isn't it just just delving into that a little bit because that that is a it's a description that's often used to to point to the fact that that jesus really died on the cross isn't it so in Mm. in a kind of apologetic tradition that would be one of the the arguments used wouldn't it because it's the separation of the blood and the plasma so so you're saying though that there's there's a deeper spiritual Meaning to that, you think? Yeah, and I also did a bit of reading up on that on the physical thing. And I'm not—I used to be a nurse, but I'm—I'm I'm not a doctor. I, you know, I've got some some knowledge of human anatomy. But what I was reading, there seemed to be quite a lot of disagreement around this as well. What really was happening? There was various suggestions of what it could be, and there was no conclusion that this was really evidence of death. Yeah, but I don't think that means he didn't die. I, well, I don't think you can really, yeah. yeah well, yes, it's like a spear into somebody's, yeah, side, <laughs> having been through what they exactly. Yeah. And what I mean, yes. you're, you're going to hit the heart, or uh-huh, you're going to yeah, hit some, yeah. some other thing. I mean, there was, yeah, he was dead. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not meaning by saying this that it's inconclusive, that it doesn't show no, he was dead. It, but I'm, I just think yeah. we, I, I was brought up as yeah. a Christian thinking this is what it's all about. As you say, yes. Fiona, this is the fact we can use this to argue the point. Yes, and and, and then and I was this like, is um, included in order that I can argue. 
rather than this is included because of something There's, else maybe too yes and i I find that really helpful the the, the idea of the, the water being the spirit and jesus saying you know he was the come to me and you, you won't thirst and 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 also the thing about him breathing at the end that he he breathes his last he, he chooses to make that final breath whereas most people dying on a cross would be gasping for breath and trying to get more breaths because that's how you die and 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 then this, as we know, the breath is a symbol of the spirit as well. That Jesus is breathing out um, what's yeah. to come. Yeah, and it's that connection. That there's a this is picked up in the last chapter of First John, where it says, "This is the one who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and the blood." That seems to be a reference to the fact that in John, he's very particular that Jesus came in the flesh. Yeah. as well blood seems to signify humanity but then we go on and the spirit is the one that testifies for the spirit is the truth so first john is, seems to be very much linking water and blood with with spirit and in john chapter 7 of course we had jesus talking about the the living water coming out of the believer's body mm-hmm. and that being pointing to the spirit it says that explicitly in john 7 so there there once again there appears to be so much going on and i think it says in john 19 i, I turned to first john so i can't see it at the moment but it doesn't it just say after jesus had died the water and blood then he gave up his spirit so there's a sense as well that the spirit is being given at that point as well uh it says it before that actually so so it says he gave up his spirit after he, he says it is finished so when he received the uh, drink jesus yeah. said it is finished with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and then it talks about the day of preparation uh and the and the piercing bringing forth the sudden yeah because they won't because they come long to break the legs mm. and they find mm-hmm. that Jesus is already dead and that's when they put the spear in the side. So it's after mm-hmm. that. It's after yeah. death, yeah. So he's the king, he's the priest, he's the lamb, he's the new Adam. Uh, and, it, and it all culminates, doesn't it, in, in, and you alluded to this, Jen, with, with your comment about the breath, it is finished. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this actually in our Easter short podcast what does it mean when he says it is finished? What's finished? It's not merely his life, is it? No, it's, 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 the, it's everything, isn't it? It's, it's the seventh it's, sign, isn't it? Of it's why he was here. It's why he came. Not that what he did when he was alive doesn't matter. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying <laughs> all we need is all we need is the death of Jesus. It's, you know, everything about his life matters. He lived for us as well as dying for us. But there's a culmination, a completion of. What it's all about. I think in the Easter podcast, I talked about it being like finishing a race. Mm. That utter relief. It is done. All the preparation, all the practice, all the the doing it, every step, um, all the energy. It's and it's such it's such a choice. It sounds from Jesus, isn't it? It's not like, oh no, it's it's the end. It's it is yeah. finished. Mm-hmm. People often contrast it to my God, my God, why have you forsaken mm. me? It seems to be a more it definite if i could use the word less depressing ending there there's mm. john is finding a purpose here where it takes me to is right at the beginning of the gospel where john the baptist sees jesus and says behold the lamb of god so it's lamb again who takes away the sins of the world and john doesn't say who will take away the sins of the world in three years time when he dies on a cross who who currently takes away the sins of the world in this life and it feels to me that almost jesus saying it is finished is almost the end of that sentence 
the act of taking away the sins of the world, which encompasses his whole humanity and his whole death, mm. is now finished. Mm. Mm. Can we talk about some of the people around this chapter? So mm. can we can we talk about the women mm. at the cross? I have a, a question, and I don't know if either of you can answer it, about who Mary, the wife of Clopas, is. I don't know the answer to that one, Fiona, but I did read that his mother's sister, there was some consideration that that might have been um, the sons of Zebedee's mum. Oh, really? Who is that? That same? She pops up a lot. I, I, as for a different project, was going through all four <laughs> gospels the other day, just yeah. pulling out all the names of all the women who were mentioned, and and actually she's mentioned quite a lot. Zebedee's sister, Zebedee's or wife. Zebedee's, is that right? Yes. So Zebedee's children are James and John. Yep. Sons of Thunder. Hmm. That's interesting. She must so have we, had so, a tough so, time and, bringing up those two. I know. I mean, honestly, and and she was married to Zebedee, of Thunder. <laughs> Then their whole their whole business collapsed because they went off with Jesus, and he was our nephew. <laughs> See, that's that interesting. Jesus... So, and where where was your where was your? No, I'm not cross questioning you, cross examining you in this, but where was your? I think for it that? was um, it was the, an NIV a sort of expo- no, it was like a expository commentary on on this these. So I, I haven't pursued it to other no, levels of research. But... Yeah, interesting to go and think about. Yeah, but it, he, but the important one of the, but it's the it's four women. Now there's going mm-hmm. to be two women in in a in a couple of days' time, isn't there? Mm-hmm. But the women are so important in the witnessing of this of what's mm. happening, mm-hmm. and and then we know they they become the the first people to say that Jesus is alive, mm-hmm. and it's not a mistake by God and yes. Jesus that these the women have that place. There is there is also a sense that the women have a they, they they carry an ability to be able to be around violent situations because there's an assumption that they're not going to cause trouble. Mm. Mm. But John was there with them. Yes. Mm. He, he's kind of was the exception. Young? Was he young? Was that why? Mm. Yeah. Of course. If if sorry, I've gone. I'm obsessing there, but this family tree. So if if <laughs> Mary the so the mother sister is the mother of the sons of thunder that's john so in matthew's gospel we've got let's compare mary magdalene is named first mm-hmm. and she's named third here oh no fourth fourth yeah then we've got mary the mother of james and joseph who people think might be mary of clopas they might be okay. the same okay and then the the third one mentioned in matthew is the mother of the sons of zebedee your friend, mm-hmm. so she's <laughs> different. Thunder. But she, but then yes, and his mother's sister. So if you've if you've got his mother's sister is named as that in John, that's why it would be the mother of sons of Zebedee and Matthew because you're mm. you're trying to match them off. Still no I helpful mean, it, with, with Clopas, mind you. No, no help with Clopas. But but I mean, a, a reminder that it's a small community. Yeah, you know, and it's a small it's a small. Um, Religious community as well, isn't yeah. it? So, so that yeah, means that James that. and John would have been his cousins. Mm-hmm, they would. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and going, we've mentioned, um, oh, what's it called? The the film program about Jesus' life. Uh, the the chosen. The chosen that comes across in the chosen, like the way they know each other. Yes. Because they were in that close community and there's family relationships and the mothers are there quite a lot. They appear a lot. Various mm. mothers because that's how the community would have functioned. Big, I mean, it's well done. 
That's so interesting. My, 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 my imagination is spiralling way off onto also in the small community. There must have been a sense from very early on that there was something about Jesus because those that those stories would have been told, wouldn't they, of of how his birth had come about. I would I would love to know what it was like um knowing Jesus as a child before he was twelve. I, mm-hmm. I'd love to have been given mm. stories of that. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many questions. Like mm-hmm. did did Jesus um I know I know he, he came into his ministry in his thirties and that's who started doing his first miracle and stuff. But do you know, did he did he practice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think doing God stuff. You know, a wee mouse. I, I'm being ridiculous. This is a bit of an offshoot, but like you know, we we dead mouse and you just let it come back to life. You know, and then the question is, was he an annoying friend when he was eight, mm-hmm. or was he a brilliant friend? I'm going for the brilliant friend because he's mm-hmm. so attractive. He didn't stop. He didn't suddenly become a person you wanted to be with when he got older. He was uh-huh. like that as a child. So there's yeah. so much you could explore. There's so much to think about, isn't there? Yeah. So. Sorry, yes. So so we have these four women. Mary Magdalene, first mention of Mary Magdalene. Neil, you were saying before we started. Yes, this is the first time we meet her. And I'd, I'd love to hear more of her. What's, uh-huh. what's her story? Because it, she doesn't seem to be the Mary of Bethany who anoints no. Jesus. Um, yeah, and, and she's going to have a, such a big role in the resurrection scene. Yeah. So we've got her here. And she's a complicated one, Mary Magdalene, in as much as so much has been built up around her mm-hmm. in subsequent years, hasn't it? That, that you have to almost peel those layers away to get to the heart yeah. of Yeah, she's been often set up as the antithesis to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is the, the image of um, feminine per- perfection. And, and Mary's the fallen woman and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think that stuff stands up to much scrutiny. No. No. Why, why is there a why have we separated these women from the twelve disciples? Mm. Mm. Why why is that the way the gospels were written that he chose these twelve disciples and they're all men? But these women evidently are totally part of of Jesus' life and ministry. C- can we sort that out? <laughs> there's there's an interesting <laughs> example. So um when this is in the other Gospels, so we're, we're outside John, but it, it speaks to your point, Jen. The, the angel says, he is going ahead of you as he told you to Galilee. And you then, so angels are saying, Jesus has told you, women, that he's going to Galilee. So then you go back to the Gospel and say, well, where did Jesus say he was going to Galilee? And you find a verse, this is all very vague, I don't have any of the verses to hand at the moment, but but you find a verse where Jesus said to his disciples, I am going to Galilee. So therefore, the word disciples must include the women who are at the tomb. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes. Let's preach it. I think we're jumping ahead to next the next chapter, actually, here in this, where we're going with this. We're not even in John's gospel anymore. We're, uh, exactly, we jumped ahead of the gospel. I, I, just as an aside on the same topic, though, I'm always interested in people like Susanna and Joanna, oh, yeah, the yeah. wife of Chusa, who, who yeah. were clearly around and supporting mm-hmm. the ministry yeah. and all that. Interesting. More of them, Free. please. Yeah, more of those people, more more of those obscure stories. Controversial the, point, sorry. There's yes. much more of them in the Gnostic Gospels. Oh, that is interesting, mm. controversial, yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll draw a line under that for now. So <laughs> uh, I, do, I do want to talk about some other characters who appear in this chapter, though. So Joseph of Arimathea and our old friend Nicodemus. Yeah. Mm. And it's oh. a very tender scene. It is. It's, it's really was, beautiful. It was one of the scenes yeah. I was really struck by reading this through. It's as if in the worst of moments... If they've been following Jesus from a distance and keeping it quiet, but when when it gets really bad, 
they step out of the shadows, don't they? And there they are, asking for his body, wrapping his body, bringing expensive um, ointments, perfumes. These are not cheap. Mm. Um, giving their all to do the, the final act that mm-hmm. they th- they think for Jesus. And it was in a tomb that no one had ever been laid. That's important yes. as well, yes. isn't it? Yes. There's not lots of bones lying around in there. No. Oh. <laughs> and and further mention of Pilate, actually. Oh, yeah. With Pilate's permission, him. he came yeah. and took the body away. Mm. You almost, and I, I may be over-reading it, but it, you know, it almost feels mm. as though they're circumventing the Jewish authorities. Going direct to Pilate. And, and they've seen something in Pilate. And Pilate yeah. is warm towards that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just read it and think, oh, thank goodness someone's being nice to Jesus. It's that thing you were <laughs> saying about the tenderness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and striking, you know, we've, we've just spoken about women and, we, and next chapter we'll, we will we'll come back to speaking about, about the role of women in, in all of this. But striking, I think there's, there's, it, there's something tender about two men doing this. Now, obviously, there's, a, you know, there's some cultural stuff around that. but Two powerful men. Mm-hmm. 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 This takes me back to a story which was told by a minister involved in our training who's very aristocratic. He'd been a, a barrister. He later on um, became a Queen's chaplain and a moderator. And he told the story of him being the minister probably in the 1970s in a parish in the borders where a boy who was big part of the life of the church, his parents were very involved in the Sunday school, was killed in a, a motor accident. And the undertaker needed somebody to help uh, embalm and prepare this boy's body for the funeral. And he couldn't find anyone so upset by what had happened until this minister had said, I'll do it. And he tells the story of, of washing this boy's body and of preparing it. And there's something, there was something about the contrast between this very, very aristocratic type of a minister and this very, very tender act. Mm. And I think of Joseph, the the, polit- the, the politician, the councilman, given Nicodemus, the most famous teacher. And what are they doing now? They're, they're handling yeah. the body of this man that they love. Mm-hmm. And, and such, such a broken body. Mm. I hadn't uh-huh. thought about that until you stole that story, Neil. Mm. And I should have. This, this Jesus' body is deeply broken. Mm-hmm. It's not a nice, yeah. tidy task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And he's laid in this garden tomb. Mm. And if we were to end here and not come back next time, mm. um, it would be it would be ended in a very different way because, of course, uh, where we go to next is... Um, a place of resurrection and hope, but I think it's important, isn't it, to to sit also with the the reality of the three days, yeah, the reality yeah. of of the of what has the significance of 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 despair. Where this takes me to, and I had never connected this before, is of course that Jesus says that his body going down is like a seed going into the earth. Now, what do you plant in the garden but seeds? Mm. So this is the seed which is placed in the earth. And we're just going to stop there. But but we know it's a seed. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. right to expect something to happen here. There's more. There's more to come. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you both very much. What, what would your takeaways be from today? There's been a, a hymn in my head all the way through our conversation. And I feel I feel quite emotional about the ending of our conversation there. And, and if MD knows me well, I 
I don't really cry very often, <laughs> but I've got tears in my eyes just thinking about Jesus, which is interesting about the conversation about don't be emotional. But it's um, praise to the holiest in the height, just a couple of verses. O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. O wisest love, that flesh and blood, which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive and should prevail. And that a higher gift than grace should flesh and blood refine, God's presence and his very self and essence all divine. That's my takeaway. I think that's my takeaway as well. I don't have one takeaway. I just have a sense from this conversation. Hmm. An immersion into this chapter. Yeah. Well, thank you both very much. Uh, Jen, give us your gem. I was worried that my gem would clash with our conversation but actually, I don't think it does. I think it's at the heart of it. I realised I hadn't um, offered any reading to people recently. Uh, so my gem is a book recommendation. is by David Sinos, C-S-I-N-O-S. A Gospel for All Ages, Teaching and Preaching with the Whole Church. A couple of reasons I've read this. Partly because Jill, when she was here in my place, talked to challenged sermons. And why do we still use sermons? And this book is fascinating because David comes from the place of saying that preaching has historically been the way that we've shared the gospel. And that's what we've talked about in our conversation, how we share this incredible story of Jesus. And so it's a look at what, how we engage the Bible intergenerationally, which you all know is, is very important to me. But he isn't coming. Often intergenerational conversations come from people who have a background in children and youth ministry, which is a different kind of place. But he's coming from a place of a, a ministry of word and sacrament, if you like, of preaching. And so he says there's not a lot of conversations about what that looks like intergenerationally. Now, his conclusions, if you read it, you'll discover that preaching might well have to look a bit different, but the Bible stays at the heart of it. So it's quite a different book to talk about all ages because it's not... I, I, I try and when I'm talking about intergenerational, I try not to make it sound like it's just to include the children because it's more than that. It's actually about all of us meeting with God. Uh, so how, how do we do that with the Bible? So I'd recommend this book. I'm only halfway through, so there might be more to come. But uh, And that's, that's David Sinos, and the name of the book is? Yeah, it's called A Gospel for All Ages, Teaching and Preaching with the Whole Church. Great. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, for folks to find, along with all the other things we've talked about. Thank you both uh, for coming. Next time, uh, we are in John chapter 20, so we're moving on. Uh, only two more chapters to go. You don't want to miss them, so don't stop listening, people. Uh, as ever, of course, let us know how you're getting on. Let us know how you're using those videos. Uh, let us know any thoughts and comments. Uh, please keep those coming. You can do that by emailing outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or contacting us via social media and of course the usual recommendation is that if you're enjoying what you're hearing then why not share this with your church your community uh, and indeed via your podcast app by giving us a rate and a review i think that's all for today good morning good afternoon good evening good night thank you for both coming 